Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, everybody. So I think it was 2011 when we did our very first series here called God at the Box Office. I think there was one year between 2011 and this year I didn't do it, and I almost had a mutiny on my hands here at Grace Crossing Church. So this has been one of the most popular series that we've done through the years, and it's been exciting every year to find uh, God in the middle of media and the middle of our culture and in the middle of Hollywood movies. Well, how many of you here have ever wondered why seemingly bad things happen to relatively good people? I think all of us at some point in our life have wondered about that. Let me ask it another way. Why does injustice happen to innocent people? I mean, that's a real head scratcher. So this morning, before I move us into this week's movie and message... I want to do something that I don't think I've ever done in all of my years of pastoring. I want to retract a statement that I made in my talk last weekend. Last weekend, I said that the worst genocide that ever has occurred in history was the Holocaust. It's actually an inaccurate statement. The worst genocide that ever occurred began in 1973 when abortion was legalized. Since that time, 61 million innocent children have been tortured and terminated. And that number continues to rise by an average of three every minute. That's just in the United States. Now, let me make two statements at this juncture. I personally know women here at Grace Crossing Church who have had an abortion. And I can tell you, they are some of the bravest, most courageous people that I've ever met. But I also know that for every woman I know, there are women and men who have been impacted that I don't know. And so here's what I want to say to anyone that has been impacted by an abortion, woman or man. Because only God knows your story, we do not stand in judgment of your decision. We accept and love you just like Jesus Christ unconditionally loves and accepts. That's exactly what's offered to all of us through Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. We become a new creation. Second thing I want to say is that I realize the complexities of this issue that stir deep, real emotion. I get it. My daughter and son-in-law just several years ago sat in our kitchen. She was at the time 16 weeks pregnant. 
and was just told that the pregnancy was in trouble. She was at risk for becoming septic and was given a decision to terminate that pregnancy or to potentially lose her own life. I get the complexities of this issue. They are vast and they run deep. There are so many layers to this issue that are beyond that particular issue. For instance, one of them that I think often gets overlooked is this. If we're going to be an advocate for unborn life, then we've got to be an equally radical advocate for born life. Which means that every child that is born that is unwanted or abandoned or neglected or abused actually deserves to be defended, to be loved, to be cared for. Here's the point. It's not enough to say abortion is wrong. That's the easy part. The tougher part is to say that every child deserves a voice and that we have an obligation to love and care for even every unwanted child that comes into this world. That's the tougher part. That we actually say, not just abortion's wrong, but that life and caring for life is right in God's eyes. It's actually what's required of us in Scripture. This is right out of our vision. One of the catalyst statements in our vision. Here it is, Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. So it's not enough simply to say that we don't believe in something. It's also important that we say, here's what we do believe in. This is what we are known for. It's what we believe and we value, and we're going to stand behind, and that is justice and mercy and humility before God, those things matter to God's heart. And here's how the early church practiced Micah chapter 6, verse 8. One of the ways they practice it, James, actually tells us this. James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans, and widows in their distress, and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Here's what this verse means. What you say matters, but what you do matters a whole lot more. What this verse is suggesting is, we can lay claim to faith. We can say we believe in God. But if our conduct does not support our claims, We are foolish, and our faith is worthless. It's not my words. Those are God's. And what God suggests is this, that how we act and what we do with what we claim to believe matters so much more than how we live it out. So here's the deal. We cannot have a conversation about abortion without having a conversation about alternatives, and about our responsibility as the family of God and the body of Christ to be advocates for life. 
That's one of the reasons here at Grace Crossing Church, we have publicly said we support every family that chooses to adopt. We're behind you. We're for you. We've had several families that have adopted that we've been privileged to be a part of, sowing into that adoption, being behind that adoption. There are families right now that are on a waiting list for kids, including my own daughter and son-in-law, who are waiting on their timing when God's going to bring Nora into their world. We are for every family that chooses to advocate, advocate for life. And we, as a body, can do that. Now, in our second service this morning, it's appropriate to talk about this because we're dedicating three, three children to God. Every one of those children matter to God. Every one of those children are special. And every one of those children were formed in their mother's womb before that parent even ever thought about them. Second thing I want to say is that you and I have an opportunity this morning to respond to real felt needs in this area in our community. We supported an organization with our giving tree this past Christmas called the Miami Valley Women's Center. We since have found out that there are other needs that they have. And so this morning there is an insert in your handout about needs at the Miami Valley Women's Center, which doesn't just provide education, but it also provides alternatives for women who are struggling with very tough decisions. And I want to encourage you this morning that you take hold of that, pray into that. We're going to have a table set up next, for the next couple of weeks where you can bring stuff, bring supplies, and we can bless this organization together as God's family. Now, this is a hard break back to a, a movie, but we're going to do it. As we come to week number five of our series, God at the Box Office, I want to welcome you to Marwin. Welcome to Marwin is the most original film of the year. What happened to you? I got beaten within an inch of my life because I was different. Some Nazi thugs jumped him. So I created a world where I can be anyone I want. These are the women of Marwin. Are all of the dolls people you know? Yeah. There's Carlala. You can't keep on running away. Julie. I got your back. Roberta. Back off! And Nicole. I just moved in across the street. This is Hoagie. Kind of a braver version of me. We're one and the same, pal. More ammo! More ammo! I thought I heard you yelling for more gumbo. Not gumbo! No gumbo! I got this Christmas. The only way you're going to get better is if you face those jerks who beat you up. Based on an inspirational true story. I'm not really sure how to do this. Of a man who turned tragedy. I got you, but you got to embrace that pain, Mark. Into triumph. Wow. I have my art and I have my friends. I have hope. And that's something they can't take away from me. Welcome to Marwin is the true story based on a life, by, uh, a life of a man by the name of Mark Hogenkamp. In April of 2000, Mark Hogenkamp was actually uh, tackled and to the ground by several men who beat him within an inch of his life. He was in the hospital for the next number of weeks and actually was in a coma. And he had no recollection when he came out of his coma of his life. He remembered nothing. 
feeling isolated, feeling hopeless, having no money to put into therapy, he decides actually to build an alternate reality, an alternate world in the backyard, a place that was called Marwin Call. And there he takes on an alter ego by the name of Captain Hoagie. It became a place and an experience where he could do anything he wanted and become anyone that he desired to be. It was a world that he controlled. And it was through those experiences that Hogan Camp actually began to heal. He received the inner courage to confront his fears, and he received the outer courage to face his attackers. Now, there's one line in this movie that I want to build my entire talk around this morning. It was actually the last quote that you saw in that clip that we just showed. Hogan Camp says this, I have my art, I have my friends, and I have hope, and no one can take those things away from me. Now, that's actually just another way of rephrasing what I shared last weekend in my message. If you weren't with us last weekend, I referenced a book that was written by a Holocaust survivor by the name of Viktor Frankl. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. If you've not read it, I would highly recommend it to you. But in the book, here's what Frankl actually suggests. He suggests that there are three elements and three components that are necessary for us to find meaning in life. He said, first of all, you need something to work for. You need a purpose. Secondly, he said, you need someone to love. You need a significant relationship. And thirdly, he said, you need to have a redemptive view of, of suffering. That's just another way to say what Hogenkamp says. He says, I have my art, I have my work and my purpose. He said, I have my friends, I have my meaningful relationships. And he said, I have hope. What you will see in today's message is the ultimate outcome of suffering and hardship when we find God in the middle of it. So this morning... I am a firm believer, 100% convinced that for us to become the person God designed us to be, we must have all three of those elements at work in our life. I think it takes all of them working in conjunction for us to become the person that God desires us to be. Let me make a bold statement today. Salvation does not automatically make you a whole person. Let me say it again. Salvation does not automatically make you a whole person. I wish it did. 
all of us wish it did. But truth be told, you can be saved but not healed. Truth be told, you can be saved but not restored to the person God longs for you to be. You can be saved but not be whole in Christ. It is possible for Jesus to be in our heart but have not been invited into our life, into every part of our life. So I want to suggest to you this morning that spiritual wholeness takes a lifetime to achieve. It takes a lifetime for us to cooperate with God to become the person that he longs, that he desires, that he died for us to become. Salvation is a work of God, but listen, this idea of spiritual wholeness and spiritual formation is not a point or a moment in time. So many people refer to salvation as then when it happened. That is not the way the Bible presents salvation to us. It is about integrating the very presence and life of Jesus into every fabric of our life and our person. Even the darkest, most difficult, most despicable places that we would rather turn our eyes away from. God desires to be brought into those. And so we need salvation. Please don't get me wrong today. We, it all begins with coming and surrendering our life to Christ. But there is more. So much more. I think it takes those three elements. I think it takes our art, it takes our friends, and I think it takes hope. And so this morning, let's unpack those. Because if we as followers of Christ here at Grace Crossing Church, who are going to be a church of emotionally healthy people, who are fully surrendered to Christ and whose hearts are set ablaze to act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. It's going to take all of those elements. So Hogan Camp begins by simply saying, I have my art, I have my purpose, I, I have my, my work. And his work was a place called Marwin, an alternate reality, a place where he could actually begin to be restored. A place where he could begin to heal. A place where he could begin to get his feet back under him again. Actually, Marwin was Hogan Camp's safe place. And I want to suggest to you that every one of us, to become spiritually whole, it begins with having a safe place where we can go. Now, because Marwin, because Hogan Camp had lost all of his memories, couldn't remember anything about his life, he was like a child in an adult body. Though he was fully 
physically developed, he actually behaved and functioned more like a child. He was physically an adult, but he was not behaving like one. I think many Christians are actually more like Hogan Camp than they care to admit. Here's what I mean. I, I think many Christians are physically adults, but they function and behave as emotional and spiritual children. And by the way, you cannot separate those two. Try as you may, you cannot separate our spiritual from our emotional. You just can't do it. If we are immature emotionally, we are also immature spiritually and vice versa. Those two are very interrelated. And I think many people in life function a lot like Hogan Camp does. They love God. They're walking around in adult bodies. But the way that they treat themselves, the way they treat others, the way they treat their spouse, their kids, their, their, their extended family, even the way they interact with God is like a child. And I also think like Hogan Camp, I think every one of us here have a safe place. Sadly, most people, what they would call their safe place is more of a secret place that is about medicating them rather than restoring them. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. What is your, presently, what is your, what is your safe place? In other words, what is that thing, that place, that activity, that experience where you go to feel like the true you can emerge? Where you feel like you can actually be who you are. You can come out from the shadows, as it were, and live who you really are. Where is that place in your life, spiritually speaking? I would submit to you this morning that Jesus Christ left his church here because he desired his church to be the safest place on earth for people. Now, sadly, when most people think of church, they do not equate it with the word safe. Let's be honest. When most people think of the word church, they actually think of it as an unsafe place where you've got to live out your false self, where you've got to bring your best image, your best portrait, wear the best mask you have in the closet. Because God knows we don't want anyone to see us in our difficult times. We don't want anyone to know of the skeletons in our closet. We, we, God forbid that we would feel that we can be who we are without feeling judged and condemned. Most people do not think of that when they think of church. And so from Grace Crossing's inception, here's been one of my prayers. God, make us a different church. Make us a church that is unlike any other church in this community. Make us a church that is a safe place for people. That prayer was actually inspired by a 1980s and early 90s sitcom 
called Cheers. How many of you here remember Cheers? Okay. How many of you here remember the theme song of Cheers? Here, let me read the words to you for those that are too young and too childish to remember. Okay. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries it sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. They ripped that off from the church. <laughs> that should be our message. We ought to be the place where people can come and be fully seen. We ought to be the place where people can come and be fully known. We ought to be the place where people can come and be fully accepted for who they are. We need to be the place where people come and see, hey, those people love God, but they got troubles just like I've got. They are struggling in areas just like I do. Guess what? I am not alone in this. The church should be that place where people feel the most safe. And I would suggest to you every person in this world and in this community deserves a place like that. They deserve a church like that. My prayer has always been, God, make us that church. That when people walk in, they sense immediate safety. So when my kids were young, from time to time, I would remind them of something. I would say to them, hey, guys, stay together. Because, and every parent here, finish it with me, because there is safety in numbers, Right? That's not just true physically, and that's not just true emotionally. It is also true theologically. Here's what Psalm 16 says, verses 1 through 3. Keep, keep me safe. Keep me safe, O God. I've run for dear life to you. I say to God, be my Lord. Without you, nothing makes sense. So here's Here's David's cry. Listen, I'm coming to you, God. You are my source of strength. You are my refuge. You are the one who I feel most safe with. I pray we all feel that with God. But then he adds these words. And these God-chosen lives all around, what splendid friends they make. David's on to something here. And what he's on to is that none of us our islands to ourselves. We have never been intended to live life as a solo act. God intended us from the beginning to live this Christian life in community, which brings me to the second element I think we all need if we're going to become spiritually whole. We must have a safe place, but I want to set the second point up with this scene. Take a look. I'm so tired of being alone. <laughs> I'm ashamed. 
your back, Hoagie. We always have your back. We're here for you. It hurts, Jules. It's so painful. I know. But you have to love the pain, Hoagie. Like the wise man said, our pain is our rocket fuel. It reminds us of our strength. Hogan Camp did not just have his art. He also had his friends. He had around him a loving community. For us to become spiritually whole, we need not only a safe place, but we also need a loving community around us. The church is designed to be the safest place. God's family, the body of Christ, should be the safest place. But here's something that I've discovered. I've discovered that when I feel the most safe, I also feel like I can trust the most. And the opposite of that is equally true. When I don't feel safe, it's really, really hard for me to trust. I don't think I'm alone in that. Here's the point. Safety and trust are inseparable. You can't disconnect them. I like to say it this way. I think the safest place in the world is often also the most loving place in the world. And the most loving place in the world is often the safest place in the world. Because when we feel deeply loved, we feel deeply safe. When we feel tremendously safe, we feel like we're being loved so well. And so what Hogan Kemp does is he sets up this alternate reality with these figurine dolls. Remember, he's a child. Like a child, he plays with dolls. And like a child, his dolls make him feel safe. But his world was not just about learning to be safe and learning to trust again. It was also about learning to love again. To love himself again and to love others again. Because just like safety and trust are inseparable, love and safety are inseparable. They go together. They are related and they are interdependent on one another. And so what Hogan Camp does is he's learning how he can begin to love again. How do I love others? How do I love God? Perhaps for us today. How do I love God more genuinely? Let me say this. I think that without safety and love, lasting change is impossible. So without God, lasting change is impossible. Now, I don't think anybody here who 
is that Grace Crossing Church today would, would probably argue with that statement. In fact, I might even have some of you say a hearty amen to that. But here's the reality. This statement may not be met with the same level of enthusiasm. Without a loving community, lasting change is virtually impossible. Without a loving community, lasting change is virtually impossible. And that is the way that God designed it. God designed it so that we would be dependent on other people, that we would need other people and they would need us to help us to become the person God desires us to be. We need a safe place, but we also need a tremendously loving place that, listen, accepts us where we are, how we are, in our process and our growth toward transformation. So this past year, I had the privilege of being part of a leadership cohort called the Townsend Leadership Program. It was a year-long process that was a leadership development process, but it also integrated personal development. So it focused not just on your competence, but it focused on your character. Not just your beliefs, but also your behavior. They build it upon a model which is a biblical model of growth. And here's what the biblical model of growth is for the Townsend Leadership Program. It's a simple equation. It's a biblical equation. Grace plus truth over time produces growth. Grace plus truth over time produces growth. So love is not just about making people feel good. Love is also about bringing reality into their world, in my case, into my world, where I could come to terms with some things in my own life that actually were stalling my leadership and stalling my life. And I experienced over this past year almost a rebirth of sorts in my life. It was profound. In fact, it was so significant in the growth that I've been experiencing in my life. Man, this was just like the icing right on the cake for me. That helped actually help me experience the way that God does what he does, which is exactly what we're talking about this morning. I would say to you this morning that coming out of that experience and that growth experience, that leadership development experience, I think I probably am the best version of me emotionally that I've ever been. And that's a good place to be. Now, I've still got a ways to go. I'm still growing. I've still got blind spots. I've still got issues. From my family of origin, I've got scripts and patterns and things that trip me up. But here's what I've learned. I've learned that I needed a safe place. And TLP gave it to me. I also learned I needed a loving community. And let me say, as a pastor, it was good to be with 10 people who I relatively didn't know. <laughs> These were mainly people that were outside of my direct, immediate relationships. But what it allowed me to do was to experiment. Do some divine experiments of, can I really love, feel loved, and trust? 
to that level? Here's the deal. I think for me, I identify with Hogan Camp more in this area than in any other. I think this is the area where I relate and resonate with him. Because for Hogan Camp, it was Marwin. For me, last year, it was TLP. What is it for you? My prayer is that for you, it will be one of our connection groups. I pray that if you are in a connection group, that you're experiencing exactly what we're talking about here this morning. That's the way we've desired to design and formulate our connection groups. A safe place and a loving community. If you're not in one, can I tell you, it's good soil to plant your life into. It's filled with good nutrients where you can find your own life growing to become the person God wants you so desperately to become. Here's what I practiced in some ways at TLP James. Chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to one another, your false steps, your offenses, and pray for one another that you may be healed and restored. The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man, believer, can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It is dynamic and it can have tremendous power. I can tell you from personal experience that a safe place combined with a loving community can do more to help us become spiritually whole than just about anything else can. But we need one other element. It's the third element that Hogan Camp talks about in the movie in this quote. Let me remind you. I have my art, which was his safe place. I have my friends. That was his loving community. And thirdly, he said, I have hope. And no one can take that away from me. The third element that I think we need, in addition to salvation, to help us become spiritually whole, is we need enduring hope. We need enduring hope. Now, what is hope? I mean, what is real, lasting, genuine hope? What produces it? The Bible actually tells us, and the answer might surprise you this morning. Take a look at Romans, please. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. We exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, when we read this passage, there's no doubt about it. The end game of it all is hope. And here's what I love about this passage. Hope is both a means and an end. Hope is actually a cause and an effect. It is both and. 
let me explain. Please do not confuse hope for optimism. They are not one and the same. I have met some highly optimistic people who were not the most hopeful people. Let me explain it this way. I think hope is an activity of God. It is a gift of God given to us. It comes from him, by him, and for him. But let me add on to it because the scripture tells us what happens. Hope is a gift made possible by God, but is only made possible through tribulation. I'm talking here about enduring hope. Enduring hope, the kind that God offers to us, is only made possible through tribulation. And that was exactly what Hogan Camp learned is that it's the hardships, it's the difficulties, it's the trials, it's the tribulations that actually at the end of it all produced in him a hope that nobody could take away from him. I'm not sure why God sequentially does it this way, but he does. God allows tribulation in our hearts and in our lives. We experience circumstances that are difficult. He uses that to produce perseverance. In other words, I, I heard one counselor say it this way, what is the worst thing that could ever happen to you? When you answer that, they ask you again, what is the worst thing? If that happened, what would be the worst thing? Go down a series of questioning, and you finally come to the point where you say, I guess I would cope. And that's exactly what we would do. Somehow tribulation has a way of producing perseverance, and perseverance actually proves, tests, validates what we claim is our character. So you can claim you're a Christian, but what really proves it is how you function in the midst of tribulation. You can say you love God, but what really proves it is how you handle it when you are required to persevere with no positive results. That proves and test the character, the, the fabric, the fiber of your being. And then the Bible says this, proven character produces hope. Now you can look at studies that have been done and here's what you discover. You discover that hope has some incredible proven benefits. It has medical, physiological benefits. It has neurological benefits. It has psychological and emotional benefits. And, and we all know it has incredible spiritual benefits, right? I mean, there's no doubt about it. There are so many benefits to experience God's gift of hope. And that's what I think the Bible means when it says, and hope doesn't disappoint. What the Bible here, I think, is saying is this. Hope does not set us up to let us down. It doesn't set us up, it doesn't dangle a carrot in front of us to simply let us down. Hope is that enduring, abiding presence of God inside of us 
that helps us to stay the course against all odds, against circumstances that are the most difficult. I think it is hope that allows us to maintain a joyful attitude when life is anything but joyful. When the odds are stacked against you, how do you maintain a joyful attitude in life? I think it comes through hope, which, notice, brings us back full circle. That word exalt at the beginning is the word joy. We also exalt. We can be thankful. We can praise God. We can be positive. We can be joyful. In the middle of our tribulations, why? Because we know that the end result, the end game, is there's an enduring hope that comes that is actually necessary for us to become spiritually whole. We've got to have it from God. James adds his voice to this as we prepare to close. James chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be what? Mature. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. And complete. Not lacking anything. So here's what I want to say this morning. If you are here and you are saved, you believe in Jesus, you've entrusted your life to him in the sense that you've placed your faith in him. We are thankful. We celebrate that with you. But it is possible to be saved and not healed. It is possible to be saved and not restored to God's original plan for your life. It is possible to be saved and not whole. So it takes all three elements. It takes a safe place, it takes a loving community, and it takes an enduring hope in God, in God's love that has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit for us to become the person God wants us to be. Without those, you may be saved, but you will never become completely whole the way God desires you to be. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head and just close your eyes for a moment. I want to lead us in a corporate prayer this morning. And as I pray, there may be people here today who've never responded to the invitation of God's love that says, I care so much about you. I know who you are. I knew you before you were formed, and I died for you. I gave my life for you so that you could spend eternity with me. I became your friend so that you can become God's friend. The question is, have we received from God that invitation to a new life? If you're here this morning and you've not done that, I want to just say that is your starting point. That's the beginning point. Spiritual wholeness is not made possible without this first step. This is where it all begins. But there's more. But this is a good starting point for you. If you're here today, you've never surrendered your heart to Christ. You've never invited God's love to be poured out into your heart. 
I just want to remember you in prayer as I close this morning without mentioning names, without even acknowledging upraised hands. I want to just remember you. So we're not going to point anybody out or make this awkward, but if you are here today with heads bowed and eyes closed, slip your hand up real quick. If you want to receive Christ, you can put it right back down, but by doing so, say, I want to cross the line of faith today. I want to invite Christ to be my Savior. I want to give my heart to him. Thanks for those who did. Would you stand, please? I want to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to ask you this week to ask yourself three questions. Where is my safe place? Who is my loving community? And do I have enduring hope? Bring those questions to the Lord with an open heart and let God do such a deep work in you It's going to take steps on all of our parts to move towards spiritual wholeness. But God desires it. Father, I just invite you to be the center of this church. This is your church. You gave your life for it. Thank you for loving each of us so deeply and inviting us into a journey with you that is about our transformation. I pray that you'll be glorified today in our hearts as we take this message, as we take your presence, as we take this family uh, around us, with us into this week. May you help each one of us, those who have responded today, that they want to place their trust in you, and those that are recognizing today they are missing some elements of their wholeness. You know who all of us are, God. You know where we are, and you know because you're already stirring our hearts in those areas. So help us. Give us wisdom, give us courage, and then meet us there with grace and truth and time to grow to be the people you desire us to be. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Bless you all. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.